Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski from paulkuharski.com. Mandatory mention of my name in the very first minute. And uh, we're off and running. I cover the Titans I have since their last year in Houston when they were the Houston Oilers in 1996. What a glorious year it was. I remember as a kid, my sister and brother-in-law had driven cross country and they brought me back a um, Houston Astros hat. It was before I had laid down the law that I would wear nothing that wasn't a New York Yankees logo from Major League Baseball. And they told me about touring um, the Houston Astrodome. And I thought it sounded really, really cool. And I never imagined that in 1996, I would cover the home football team that played there which was my second year of covering professional football after I covered the Oakland Raiders at the revamped Oakland Coliseum, which remarkably is still in use for the Oakland Athletics. Titans are home. It feels like after a, a long stretch, but it wasn't that long. For Denver this weekend, the Broncos are not a very good football team. Um, and they're a very poorly coached football team. I think on the Mike Vrabel, Nathaniel Hackett matchup alone, the Titans should win this one. Nothing's guaranteed, obviously, um, and they'll have to play it. The Titans are banged up, and we'll get into that as item two. But item one is really more about this uh, coaching versus personnel strain that's developed, developing with this team. And I think um, it's just kind of a little bit of a cautionary tale in the way that we look at how some people are being deployed with this team. And I would advise that if Mike Vrabel and his coordinators, even Todd Downing, who I will agree is, is not very good, not very effective, but he does have Mike Vrabel as his boss. If these guys are not asking a player to do something, it's because these coaches don't believe that player can do something. And again, the being discouraged about that, you can be discouraged in the moment that so-and-so can't do such and such and you sure wish he could. And why don't they ask him to, but we're in the, the coaching season, the playing season. But the answer to that question oftentimes is lies back in March during free agency and April in the draft and the April before that, and the April before that. And so Cody Hollister is one of my least favorites on the team. And I understand he's a great blocker, but he's been targeted seven times this year. And the reason he's been targeted seven times this year is because they don't think he's a viable pass catcher. We know that. We know it because it's in evidence. If they thought he was a more viable pass catcher, they would throw to him more often. And they throw to him the seven times they've targeted him to keep people honest so that they know that he's not entirely a blocker out there. 
Shiga Akankwo. He's been targeted only 11 times. He's done pretty well with the targets that he's had. So why aren't they throwing to him more? Well, <clears throat> he's gotten stalled out the last couple of weeks. He, I mean, he had a, a very nice, what was it, 48-yard catch to open up the, uh, the game in Kansas City, which was a big moment for Malik Willis. And it was a big moment for Chig, um, you know, who tends to go silent um, sometimes. And we all tend to think that's a coaching thing. I think it's somewhat of a Chig thing, too. But Aconquo, uh, you know, let's look game by game at his at his targets. He had one in the opener, none um, in in week two of Buffalo. Um, you know, didn't register against the Raiders. Three against the the in the first Colts game, which was his you know, quote unquote, big game, three targets, three catches, 38 yards. And everybody got excited about him the first time. Then he had one target in the win in Washington and one target home against the Colts. And then, I mean, the targets actually went up with Malik because Malik uh, couldn't throw to receivers. He was throwing more to the safety of the tight end and the, and the wide receiver. Chiggs had five targets in the last two weeks with Malik Willis playing with two catches, a three yard catch in Houston and the 40 yard, 48 yard catch um, in Kansas city. So, <clears throat> I mean, he got targeted five times in those last two games, but why isn't he being targeted more overall? Well, I mean, if he's as good as he looks to us when he's catching those three for 38 which were, you know, kind of clutch catches. It was something against at Indianapolis or this 48-yard catch. Mike Vrabel's no idiot. He's he's going to get him more. And Todd, he's going to instruct Todd Downing to get him more. He's not getting him more because they they think that's about what he can handle or they want something else. He had the broken tackles on, on this 48-yard catch in Kansas City, which were excellent. You know, turned a relatively short, short play into a 48-yard play. But it's not out of some stubbornness or lack of desire to throw to Chig. It, it's because I think Mike Vrabel sees some sort of deficiency. I think he's a little shy with rookies, too. I think Mike Vrabel came up. Slowly, he was brought up slowly out of Ohio State in Pittsburgh, and he doesn't necessarily open the the spigot on the faucet with rookies quickly because that's not what was done with him. Caleb Farley played zero snaps three consecutive games in a row on defense. He's not playing any snaps because they don't think he's good enough to play any snaps. Dennis Daly. And Nicholas Petit Frere need help all of the time. All uh, uh, you know, virtually all of the time. The Titans feel like their interior three, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, Aaron Brewer, are doing a pretty solid job. I feel like they feel like that's the core on offense. But the two tackles, they can't, 
They can't ask them to do too much. And so they don't ask them to do too much. Derrick Henry, the identity of the offense, still is not on the field very often on third down. Even on third and four, Derrick Henry is often not on the field. Even in a season where he's been a better pass catcher, though not as much lately. And look, I don't begrudge Dontrell Hilliard in passing situations. He's been a good player for them. But the Titans don't like Derrick Henry in in third and four, even. Um, which in some instances is is crazy. When you see somebody not doing something and you think he should be doing something, take it as the coach's commentary on what that guy is or isn't able to do. That's what I'm taking it as. And I, I think that's the right move to make. Injuries this week are, excuse me, are, are huge. The injury report, Wednesday, Thursday. Zach Cunningham, who I don't think is a big loss, is back on there with an elbow, hasn't participated. Bud Dupree with the hip, hasn't participated. Hooker, shoulder, same. Simmons, ankle, same. Tier Tart's been sick, same. Christian Fulton went from limited participation with a hamstring on Wednesday to not participating Thursday. That's 56% of the starting lineup on defense. Now we'll go guy by guy about alternatives. I, I, Zach Cunningham is eminently replaceable by Dylan Cole. I wrote about Dylan Cole today. I hope you'll read it. Dylan Cole. And I, you guys know, I don't like to rely on pro football focus much, but once in a while it adds good context. Those two grade out overall about the same, but Cunningham has a far better coverage grade which is fine. These guys are two down players, run down players. And Cole's run defense grade is way better than Zach Cunningham. I would rather see Dylan Cole playing against the run than Zach Cunningham. So if Cunningham's out, if he's re-injured that elbow, so be it. Bud Dupree, on the other hand, <clears throat> I mean, when he left that Kansas City game, things changed. And, uh, you know, we don't know if he's re-injuring that hip or if it's just a persistent thing that he's trying to play through for as long as he can you know you replace him with with Rashad Weaver who's a good pass rusher but not as versatile a player as Bud Dupree not as effective against the run not as fast um it's just not the same defense with Bud Dupree not out there. I know a lot of you are down on him because he's missed so much action last year, recovering from the ACL still this year with the hip, but <clears throat> they need that guy healthy and out there. And um, it's very unfortunate when they don't have him. Could you survive against Denver without him? I told you how much I don't like Denver. Next game after that's Green Bay who's been terrible, and that'll be on a Thursday night. But October 27th, Cincinnati, 
December 4th, Philadelphia, those are two big games against two talented teams. I think Cincinnati's a talented team. And at Philadelphia is the best team in the league. Simmons was not quite as upbeat as he usually is when he talked to the media on Thursday. He's got a boot on his left foot. He may have been wearing a boot on his left foot when he didn't practice the two weeks prior with a sprained ankle. But he said he injured it further in Kansas City. And so um, that's an issue, obviously. Who do you replace Jeffrey Simmons with? He's he's not replaceable. You know, you're replacing him with a variety of uh, of people. Obviously, I'm going to check here. Kevin Strong is one of those people. He has an ankle injury. He was limited on Wednesday, but he was a full participant on Thursday. Um, Mario Edwards is a defensive end, but he can likely play some tackle. Tier Tart is on this injury list. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday, but he's sick. Unless that's, you know, a, a good case of COVID, you would expect that he would be back. Um, he's a nose tackle by nature, but they could, he could help fill in there. Naquan Jones also. Um, that's a committee effort to replace Simmons if, he, in fact, he can't go. Amani Hooker, shoulder, missed last week, could be out this week. Andrew Adams replaces him. But then, um, you know, is Adams involved in the nickel package? The way Hooker was involved in the nickel package, that's the way they went last week for, for some time, which then brings Josh Kalu into the picture. Um, and Adams and Kalu both on the field in nickel. Um, that is a much lesser package than Hooker and Adams. Hooker's a darn good player. Uh, they don't want to keep playing without him. T.R. Tart, I mentioned, has been sick. Fulton with that hamstring, if he's out of the lineup, your number one corner against a team with some quality receivers, you're then talking about Roger McCreary and Terrence Mitchell as the top two cornerbacks. And then we covered they, they've been playing nickel with safeties. I don't know that you're uh, you're going deeper into cornerback there. Then you're talking about Trey Avery or the aforementioned Caleb Farley, who hasn't played a defensive snap in three games. Injury concerns for sure. On the positive side, Ryan Tannehill went from limited Wednesday to a full participant on Thursday. Thursday, a uh, much more, um, you know, it's not like they're, they're banging each other out there and uh, knocking helmets, but it's a more physically taxing practice on Thursday than it was on Wednesday. Great sign for Ryan Tannehill arrows pointing up towards him practicing. And by the way, I mentioned Kalu as a part of what replaces hooker. Kalu didn't practice on Thursday because he was sick. So there's a lot going on there. Um, a lot more on defense than offense, which you might expect since the Titans defense played 100 plays in Kansas City, which was asking an awful lot. Denver's offense, not good. 20th offensively, 20th rushing offense, 19th passing offense. If you've watched them play at all, Russell Wilson's nothing like his old self. They're a mess. 
Hackett's a mess as the coach. Still, 56 percent of your your starting defensive lineup is out. That's uh, a big deal and a big problem. Let's move to Todd Downing, one of uh, everybody's favorite subjects. One of the things, and I was talking about these player limitations earlier, <clears throat> the receivers are clearly limited. All right, even if Traylon Burks and um, and Kyle Phillips are part of the mix, it's a limited group. And they have to find more ways to get people open, to scheme people open. Todd Downing talked about scheming people open uh, when he spoke with us in the media on Thursday. There are certainly things that, uh, you know, certainly things that we try to do to, to help out uh, in those regards. Obviously, some very talented corners in this league. Uh, we're going to play some this Sunday. Uh, and so we're always trying to do that. And I think that we've built quite a catalog of, of trying to get some of those rub releases and, and things of that nature, you know. Um, and there's always a balance in that, too. You know, holding the ball too long or letting something long developing uh, unfold can put a lot of pressure on the protection. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, and so we're always looking for ways to try to scheme those guys up for sure. So that's all well and good. But, I mean, uh, uh... If they ran a few more rub routes to get guys open, is that really testing the offensive line in terms of its ability to uh, to protect? If you ran a bunch set more often, does it really take the bunch set that much time to uh, to break and and get off the line that it's that big a protection concern? I mean, I'm not asking you to to run that bunch set and then, you know, run long developing deep routes. Can't you run a bunch set and throw something short? Maybe that resembles a crosser. Is is Traylon Burks the only guy in this whole receiving group who can run a crossing route? Because we're not seeing the Titans do any of that. Now, I understand Malik Willis, you know, maybe less equipped to throw stuff across the middle of the field, hasn't developed that or whatever yet, but how much were the Titans throwing any kind of crossing stuff? Doesn't feel like much. And we got spoiled maybe by AJ Brown. I can't help but mention his name, but it needs to be more variety and more work scheme wise to free up guys who are limited. And here's a spot where, you know, I don't know, maybe Mike Vrabel needs to be more involved. Maybe Mike Vrabel needs to go to Downing and request more of these things that aren't happening. Uh, You don't want to meddle. At the same time, you've got, you know, one of the league's worst offenses, the worst offense, 32nd, eighth running, 31st passing. I wouldn't mind the head coach being in there a little bit. Where's Tim Kelly's influence? He's the passing game coordinator. Now, I think we haven't given Tim Kelly much grief because we don't really know what he's doing. We're not allowed to talk to him. Todd Downing's offense was bad last year, and the offense is bad again this year. So we don't see anything new. So I tend to think, and I think a lot of people are with the same thinking, not thinking that Tim Kelly has been allowed to do much. But, uh, you know, if this is Tim Kelly's passing game, he sure hasn't hasn't fixed things. 
sure isn't being inventive, creative, sure isn't getting the most out of guys or or the feedback they're giving us about these guys is they don't think they're they're very good. They don't think they're capable of taking advantage of even schemed situations. Look, Burks talks this week as if he expects to play uh, against Denver, and that's big for the Titans. They need Traylon Burks back in the mix. But let's not forget that Traylon Burks wasn't exactly lighting it up when he was in the lineup before turf toe became an issue for him. Well, I tweeted this week, uh, what's the over-under for Traylon Burks' targets? In the four games he played, he was targeted five times, six times, two times, three times. That wasn't trending great. I'd set the target over under three and a half. And uh, now it looks like it'll be Tannehill, so that's good. You might lean on the over. Uh, If it was Malik Willis, you would have leaned on the under for sure. But three catches, four catches, one catch, two catches. Are you going to throw it him or not? Let's see it. Come come out this game and surprise us. Feature the guy. Talked about him staying fit. You know, Vrabel said nothing duplicates getting out there and running, but talked in some detail about the things a guy can do in the pool and in other fashions with the modern equipment that's available to keep a guy with a lower body injury fit in this day and age. Sounded really upbeat about that. I talked to Burks about that. He sounded really upbeat about that and said, if he doesn't play this week, it's not going to be because he's not fit. Get him out there, feature him, roll out stuff that's designed with the intent of getting him the ball, and then get him the ball. Ryan Tannehill's perfectly capable of feeding a receiver. And uh, Ryan Tannehill is perfectly capable of going to a first read who's open. Make Burks the first read. Run plays where Burks is the first read. Burks, go do your job and get open. Derrick Henry, uh, you know, continues to be this offense. And uh, that's not going to change by any great measure. If he... Uh, gets a rushing touchdown this weekend, he will become just the fourth player to accumulate a 1,000 scrimmage yards and 10 rushing touchdowns for five consecutive seasons. That'll be his fifth consecutive season. He'll join LaDainian Tomlinson, who did it for eight consecutive seasons for the Chargers. The eighth season was 2008. Adrian Peterson, uh, one of the Titans' great running backs, who did it for the Vikings from 2007 to 2013, a seven-year streak. And Sean Alexander of the Seahawks, who did it from 2001 to 2005, a five-year streak. A thousand scrimmage yards. I've stumbled on scrimmage too many times right there. A thousand scrimmage yards and 10 rushing touchdowns for at least five consecutive seasons. Derrick Henry would be just the fourth guy. And if he gets 100 yards this week, he will um, do something that Eddie George never did. He'll have a six-game streak of 100-yard games. Chris Johnson had a 12-yard streak in 2009 and 2010. 
Earl Campbell did it uh, seven times in 1979, and Earl Campbell did it six times in 1980. Derrick Henry did it five times in 2021. He's got a current streak of five right now. He could boost that to six. Eddie George never did it more than five times. He did it five times in 1998. I think Derrick Henry is terrific right now, but we've seen him get caught from behind a couple times, which is something we haven't seen before. Usually if he breaks into the secondary um, and there's nobody in front of him, he's gone. And we've seen a couple instances lately where that hasn't been the case. Um, I was able to ask him about that, and I thought he gave me a, a very good answer describing what happened on a couple of those plays. Here is that. Uh, Houston, I got caught. He tapped my foot, so that brought me out of stride. And then in Kansas City, I had to re-catch my balance. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, when do you start asking me questions about me getting caught? Oh, oh, oh worry about that. I'm I'm fine. When it, when it comes, I'll, I'll break one and everybody will be asking questions about something else. So a guy named Arjun Menon, his uh, Twitter address is Arjun Menon 100, put out a graphic um, this week on Twitter. And um, is a very telling Titans graphic for sure. It is. Um, NFL offense's second and 10 rush rate following an incompletion on first down. Second and 10 rush rate following an incompletion. Guess who leads the league by a big margin in this category? Tennessee Titans. I, uh, I failed to write down the details of this, and I remembered it a little bit incorrectly when I asked Todd Downing about it, and I thought they were over 70%. They're actually just under 70%. It looks like uh, high 60s, probably 67%, but high 60s. So the Titans, in the high 60% of the time, after an incompletion on first down, have run the ball on second and 10. That's been a successful run, what's defined as a successful run on second and 10, 33% of the time. Second most frequent team at this is the Chicago Bears. They're about 55% of the time. They should stop that, really, because their successful run rate in those situations is 6%. Only other team over 50% at doing this is the New Orleans Saints, and their success rate is 21%. All the way down at the other end. A couple modern coaches. The Miami Dolphins look to do it less than 5% of the time. So if Miami throws an incomplete pass on first down, they are throwing it over 95% of the time on the next play. And when they run it, that looks like 4% of the time. They have a 0% success rate running it. Success isn't a first down there. I think success is probably four yards on second and 10 is probably considered a success. Um, number two in the least frequent category, but uh, Cincinnati, 10% of the time they run it after they throw an incompletion on first down 10% of the time, also zero success rate. Uh, and number three at about uh, 18, 19% Tampa Bay. 
Tom Brady's not gonna gonna hand it off. They're a terrible run team for starters. Secondly, they got an all-time great quarterback on second and 10 after an incomplete pass. They're going to pick it up and throw it again. But the ideal team here, maybe, at not doing this very often, and when they do it, having great success is Seattle. The Seahawks uh, run it just over 20% of the time on second and 10 after an incomplete pass. And they run it successfully in that circumstance about 60, not about, 67% of the time. There's a gold standard right there. And we've got Kenneth Walker, a rookie running back, who's doing very well after Rashad Penny got hurt. I asked Todd Downing about this. Uh, and, and forgive me, I mistakenly, when I asked him about it, used a 70% number. He didn't correct me on that 70% number. And he admitted the number was high. But here's what he had to say. Yeah, I would say 70 percent is is predictable. I would agree with you on that. I would tell you that um, there's also tendencies on the other side of the football uh, where we're getting some split safety looks. And that's maybe some of the places we actually do see an advantageous box and feel like we can get ourselves into some of those third and shorter uh, windows. And where we didn't do a good job of that the other night is where we had some either lost yardage or or incompletions and zero-yard gains. Now we wound up in third and 10, third and 12, and and that's just not what we're built uh, to, to live in. You know, there aren't a lot of offenses that are. So uh, there's a balance there, and certainly I try to keep track of that stuff and, and make sure that I'm not getting too far out of whack. Um, and usually you can tell if the defense has changed their call off of something that they're well-known for then it's something I got to be aware of and uh, and try to react accordingly. Now, he's saying that sometimes in that second and 10, they get an advantageous box. Mike Vrabel himself said recently, they never have a different box. You know, now people count up the box, the defenders in the box. And so there are statistics about, you know, what Derrick Henry does against a loaded box versus not a loaded box, but, but Vrabel said, you know, that post safety is sometimes at eight yards and sometimes at 12 yards. And let, uh, we were joking about this on, on the outkick 360 lately. Like, uh, that safety is not going backwards ever. The Titans threaten no one deep. There's not a team in the league that's scared of them deep. Even when AJ Brown and Julio Jones were playing in the same game, no one was backing off of Derrick Henry. They were taking their chances with receivers and Ryan Tannehill and loading up and creeping forward, worried first and foremost about the Titans' most dangerous player, who was Derrick Henry. They're sure as hell doing it now with Nick Westbrook Aquina and and Chris Connolly and uh, you know, a no-name assembly of wide receivers on the field. Robert Woods, I mean, Robert Woods is not a no-name receiver. He's a no-separation receiver right now. So um, this idea from Downing that uh, they're seeing some run advantage in second and 10, I think would would suggest that they would do better than 33% success rate on on those runs you know jacksonville runs on second and 10 something like 35 percent of the time 
they've got a 56% success rate. I mean, if Todd Downing was getting a 56% success rate, I can understand why he's running it so often. But if you're settling for success a third of the time, you're doing it too much. You're doing it too much. And we talked about Chig Aconquo earlier. You know, you don't have to be throwing it to those bad receivers. You could throw it to Austin Hooper. You could throw it to Chig Aconquo. You could throw it to, to Dontrell Hilliard. All of those guys have proven to be pretty good uh, on the rare occasion that you've thrown it to them. But uh, you don't have enough faith in them, two out of three of them, anyway. Uh, I'm Paul Kuharski. The, the site's paulkuharski.com. It costs you $5.99 a month, the price of a, a beer, a fancy cocktail. It's well worth it. Mike Herndon wrote this week about um, – how the, the past problems on offense are not so easily solved. It's a, a really good piece you want to read. Blake Bettingfield's, uh, I'm recording Thursday night, his preview of the game against the Broncos will be up on Friday. You're going to want to read that too. Um, I wrote about how uh, the Titans are doing such a great job plugging and playing defensive guys like Dylan Cole, another guy I wrote about this week. But guys, you know, who haven't been around as long as him, like Terrence Mitchell, like Andrew Adams, like Mario Edwards. And on offense, they can't do that at all. And then I wrote the piece I mentioned about Dylan Cole, something else uh, you'll want to read. You should join. You should be a member. Private Facebook page, um, membership broadcasts. I'll do one from the press box at Nissan Stadium after the game. And as usual, we'll uh, we'll wrap up here with a, a couple stats you should know. There are really some good ones from Inside Edge that uh, I turned up this week. The Broncos have run 58 plays on third and long this season. That's the most in the NFL, 58. The Titans have run 45. That's tied for 27. Russell Wilson has a passer rating of just 58.9 in the red zone. That is the worst of 28 qualified NFL quarterbacks. The league average is 91.7. 91.7 used to be an outstanding overall passer rating. Now it's the average passer rating in the red zone. And finally, the Broncos defense has allowed just 8.5 yards per completion. That's the best in the NFL. That is pretty stingy. That's not going to help the Titans find the bigger chunk plays that all of us are looking for. The league average is 10.9. Broncos uh, all the way down at 8.5. A very good number. Broncos defense is good. It's going to give the Titans problems. Thing is, the Titans defense is also very good, and it's going to give the Broncos problems. So I say that, and of course, the, it, the game will be 45-42. That'd be a lot more fun to watch than what the Titans have been putting on the field lately. Thank you for joining me. I'm Paul Kuharski, and I urge you not to block the box, but to be sure to lock your locks. Thank you.